0: This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Welcome to the Full Blast Podcast. My name's Jeff Fader, and thank you for joining us on the Makery Podcasting Network. I'm thrilled to be here. This is an honor for me. Craig Lockwood's doing a great job. There's going to be a lot of exciting new podcasts on this podcast network for makers, by makers. It's very exciting. And here we are, the Full Blast Podcast, where I'm going to be making it happen, I guess. So let's just get the fuck into it. I don't know, what what are we playing around for? I'm in a sour mood, and we got to get the ball rolling. So last time we spoke, I had told you that my wife, who's a nurse practitioner and a first uh, frontline worker, first I almost said first responder, no, frontline worker. She had tested positive for coronavirus, COVID-19, which seems to be engulfing our world and our topic of conversation. I'm gonna try to get through this. We uh, my kid and I, we so my adult my wife was uh quarantined to the third floor and my daughter and i were taking care of her and my wife had gotten us uh, appointments to get tested because she seems to know all the right words you speak to these medical people we got tested very strange situation and then we came home right put the swab up the nose pushed the boogers in the back of our brain Hawking up lugs all the way home. Something's not right. This is very strange. But let's go. So as soon as we got home, we all just kind of talked. We talked from our our method of conversation was from uh, either FaceTiming or from different floors. We would just talk to each other down from the stairs, which is very odd. So the hope was, well, we didn't really know what the hope was. The hope was uh, my wife had already been uh, quarantined for over a week. And as soon as the results would come in, if we were positive and we had coronavirus, she could come out of quarantine. And if she was negative and she didn't have anything, well, that would just mean that we were just going to keep her upstairs quarantined until this was, you know, until uh, one of her coworkers who was an epidemiologist said, keep her quarantined for three weeks. So days go on, days go on and we're waiting. And as soon as we hear the news, then I'm out of the guest room, off the couch, back into life, we can figure something out. But at the same time, it's like, what's, what, what do we want? What do we want to happen? Is it if, if I'm positive, we can all get back together, but it means I'm just a slob? and I can't keep my family's you know, health, safety, and illness away? Or or What? One day passes, two day passes, three day passes. Every day we're hoping for a call. It can make a decision on whether or not we're, we can all join each other as a family. I'm trying to keep the house clean. And after two weeks, my wife started to go back to work. Uh, she was feeling much better. She was in bad shape in the first week. Second week, she started feeling better. By the end of the second week, she started going back to work. We would. She'd take a shower in the morning. Get changed, run out the door And I'd disinfect everything And she'd have a mask on And she told me the things that she touched And I'd have to whitewash everything down And then blah, blah, blah So Wednesday comes, Thursday comes Nothing, we don't hear anything And my wife says, why don't you just give them a call And see what, maybe they have it And they just haven't gotten it yet So i call on the number that they gave us And uh, we said, they would say, oh well we haven't You know, your test hasn't There's It's still pending, the results are still pending and I had said at one point it had been six days, and I said, "Is this normal?" And they said, "Well, you know, because of the state has taken over all the labs, we're we're kind of in a position where we we're at the mercy. So normally something that would take a couple day a day or a couple days is now taking anywhere between seventy two hours and five days. So we're at seven. So it said six days, and on the seventh day I get a phone call, and it was a relief because this, this is it." Do I have to sleep on the goddamn couch again anymore? This is my, it's just my back was hurting. I wasn't getting any sleep. The pillows were falling off. I couldn't get comfortable. Or can we get back into life with my, you know, my COVID-infested wife? Fine. I, we, we'll figure it out. So this nice woman got on the phone, and she said she was from the Westchester Department of uh, Department of Health, and she had a few questions for me um, for data, for blah, blah, blah. So she asked my religion, or my religion, she asked my ethnicity and my race and all this, that, the other thing. And then she asked me a question that, you know, is always this thing. They said, what's your occupation? Well, we're on the makery podcasting network. So I make something. So I could have said, I'm a, I could have said I'm a sculptor. I could have said I'm a blacksmith. I could have said I'm a knife maker. All three of those have baggage and follow-up questions regardless. So if you tell someone that you're a sculptor, especially if you're a guy, three quarters of the people who you tell are gonna think you're just a douchebag. And understandably, I mean they think that you're in this, you know, in this shop with chisels and hammers and marbles and you're and you're carving this marble sculptures and you're just like full of yourself and it that it's just, you know. And and three quarters and the other quarter of it, those people aren't even listening, really. They you know they're just kind of like, Oh, you don't say you know, and they, they probably think you're a douchebag too. So there's that. Then the next thing is if you say, I'm a blacksmith, then they say, Oh, you shoe horses? You're a farrier? And then they no, 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 no I have nothing to do with horses, I have nothing to do with horseshoes. You know, they could easily say, you know, they could, instead of thinking that I'm some old guy with a, you know, a hammer and a anvil and a beard and I'm just tink, tink, tinking in the, in the barn, you know, they could be, you know, you could tell them that, you know, every arrow ever fired back in the day and every sword that cut off a head and every prisoner who was in chains and every slave that was in chain, and prisons and javelins and spears and swords and shields. You could you could just kind of like let them know that you, you know, Blacksmiths did that too, but oh no. Oh no, it's it's, you know, horseshoes. And then you can say you're a knife maker. And when you say you're a knife maker, there's a involuntary response that happens every single time and it's something to behold and it's something to get sick of. And it's always you say you're a knife maker and they say, "Oh, are you on Forge and Fire, or have you been on Forge and Fire, or will you go on Forge and Fire, or hey, I have a great idea, you should be on Forge and Fire, Forge and Fire, they Forge and Fire, that's all they say, and it's fine, and I understand. Forge and Fire, if you don't know, is a TV show, that is, uh, it's not really a game show. You think it's a game show, but it isn't a game show because you know, there's, it's not really like some of the some of the winnings are kind of arbitrary, not arbitrary, but it's in the be- eye of the beholder. So you have four knife makers, and they have a certain amount of time to have a challenge. They have to forge out a knife It's very specific, and they want you to use certain things, and you don't know what it is, and you have a certain amount of time. And then after a certain amount of time, they basically call the person that they deem who hasn't really you know, the weakest link, I guess you'd say. It's really, really awful to even say that, and I apologize. And then you go on to the next, and then it's three, and then they have another thing, and then it's two, and then after the two, they get to the champion. It's a, you know, here's my opinion on Forge and Fire. It's a fantastic show to show um, non-makers, especially, and people who like to watch TV and sit on their couches, that people are using anvils and hammers for other things than, you know, Popeye and olive oil putting it an anvil under her pocketbook ber- pocket book, or you know, the the wily coyotes dropping, you know, anvils on the Roadrunner. It's great to be able to see these makers. And I just remember when I was a fabricator, I used to, and I was welding, I loved watching Jesse James because all of a sudden you turn his show on, whatever show he was on, and he was welding, MIG welding or TIG welding. And I was I was just like, Oh, I can I do that. Let's watch this some more. So When you see these shows, especially, you know, Forge and Fire, well, I say these shows, there's only really one show, and it's Forge and Fire, the most popular knife uh, TV show. Uh, I, I don't know if it's a reality show. I don't know if it's a, it's not a game show. It's a TV show. It's widely popular, and it's the only avenue that people get to watch people make knives. That's good enough for me. I think it's awesome. I'm I'm grateful to it. I think it's great. I know a pile of champions. I know a pile of people have been on it. And it's fantastic. But it's annoying when people constantly say to you, why don't you go on Forge and Fire or whatever? Have you been on Forge and Fire? It's nonstop. It's like this, it's like this uh compulsion to say, Forge and Fire, Forge and Fire. Yes, yes. No, 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 I haven't been on it. So it's a great show. It's just not for me. And I and and if you've been on Forging Fire or, or wanted to be on Forging Fire, I I God bless you. I, I am totally a hundred percent for you. Just not for me, which is fine. I I have problems. I have real problems. Well one thing is I just I don't really like the idea of of not having your all your 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 journey as a person to be relying on hope in a big break. I've always thought that that's a very passive way to go through life. That I'm going to get on the show and it's going to be my big break and I'm going to be discovered and I just find that to just be too delusional. I mean, honestly, you know, these people that they they get a, they're a little bit nowadays with the internet and with social media and things people just I think they get a little bit too excited with the concept of what fame is. And I'm not 100% sure I believe fame really is a thing. It's a social construct that it's, you know, especially now with COVID-19 and, you know, movie people aren't, you know, being seen as much and you're not seeing these events and stuff like that. It's just like, is that mean that if they don't exist in your version of what their fame is, does it really matter? So I don't get bogged down with the whole thing uh, about fame. P.S., just to, just to show you, we actually on, uh, I'm also one of the co-hosts of Knife Talk Podcast, and we get DMs, and a few months, uh, maybe a year or so ago, somebody had sent us a message telling us, say, I think it was, I'm going to just, you know, basically, I'm going to tell you kind of what it said. I'm not going to say verbatim, but it was, you should have me on to interview. You should have me on a Knife Talk to interview me because I'm famous. I was mentioned on a podcast and I'm blowing up, so you should be having me on because I'm famous. He said famous at least twice in the in the message, and I immediately was just like, "All right, well, I'm not even going to respond. I've never heard of this person before, nor should I. Does it even matter? But when you start calling yourself famous, you sound like a fucking idiot." It's not really. It's awful. It's terrible. So I don't really believe in that. I don't buy into when people say, you know, when they say, you know, you should be on the show because you could become famous. It's just like it's this is some bullshit, you know, glittery shit that you're like, oh yeah. And then you can you imagine you go home, your wife, I'm gonna be on, I'm gonna be on the show, and I might be famous. It's just like you're, you're, you know, your wife wants to leave you. She's like, you know, get stop it with the famous. So it's just that never really has been a thing for me. I just want to kind of, you know, have my own destiny in my two hands and kind of just kind of push forward slow and steady wins the race. Um, The other thing is, is like the money isn't great. I mean, the money isn't great. They say it's 10 grand, but after taxes, it's six. And it can be anywhere between two and three weeks of your life. And I just, I just don't want to, the idea of there being these hurdles and the, this idea that maybe, you know, maybe you'll win, maybe you'll become famous, this will be good for your business, look at the $10,000, I mean $6,000, it's just all very like, there's a little bit, I, I find that with these some of these producers too... These people making this show are perfectly nice. The judges are fantastic. Anybody, the people who have have offered to be on the show or have been on the show are fantastic. I have nothing but respect for you and your giant, humongous, beautiful balls. Uh, It takes a lot of balls to be on that show, and I salute every single one of you. But these producers on these TV shows—they don't care about. I'm putting in my hand. hand, I'm doing air quotes. They don't care about the craft. We're in it for the craft. They're in it to make good TV, so they're gonna do whatever it takes to get you on there. Especially if a lot of personality, they want your personality, and they are hoping for something to be exciting and blah blah blah. So it's just like I don't, you know, don't, you know, you're gonna, we're, you can imagine all the promotion you'll get for being on this show, and you don't understand, and you, I understand, it's fine. Don't, please just, I'm not, I'm not a, you know, I didn't fall off the turn. I wasn't born at night. I was born the expression. I try to do two shitty expressions. The first thing was I didn't come down with the rain. That's a old school. I didn't come down with the rain is a good one. The other one is I was bored at night, but not last night. And I didn't fall off the turnip truck. I fucked all three of those up. Fine. The and then the last thing is, the last thing is, is like I have fucking I have a terrible trauma about competition. Competition is something that I I'm gonna have to go into later, but it's one of those things that, like for me, it's I have this these childhood traumas about 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 competition and being forced into competition, and it's just like one of those things that I don't want my journey as a whatever, as an idiot or a, a knife maker, or a business person, to be you know shoehorned to somebody else's pecking order. It just it just always seemed to me like I'm here. To for a, on a, for a long time and not a good time necessarily. And I don't need the, you know, these high adrenaline situations to get me to get out of bed. It's just, it's not really for me. I just wanna like, I wanna like put my nose to the grindstone, make some good knives, sell my product, and get on my, with my life. Now, with that all said, if Fortune Fire wanted to pay me, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'll show right up first day. But you can't get, you can't dangle a, we'll fly you to Connecticut. We'll put you up in a hotel. That's not gonna, that's not gonna, that isn't it. Isn't it? That isn't it. You can't, you gotta gotta say my name, my full name on the show. That's another thing they do. They tell you they're gonna promote you, but they don't put your name in it at all. Fine. I understand. You might have a criminal record or something, or you might be some 'er ne'er-do-well that they're not interested in. Fine. And, you know, I don't get into all that. So if you ever see me on that show, and I'm not saying no. They send me an email every year, and I'm always super, super uh, polite. I've never burned a bridge with any of them. I don't know any of them. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about it now, and they're not clearly not listening. But if you ever see me on that show, know this. They've paid me, because there's no other way. I'm not, I'm not a hope guy. I'm not a speculation guy. I'm not really a contestant guy. I don't really wanna be a contestant. It's just, but and that's me. And if you have, I'm 100% with you. I'm totally with you. But the, the 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 price we pay for your love of this show is, oh, you're a knife maker? Have you been on Forged in Fire? It's this. you know what I'm talking about. We get these messages all the time. I'm tired of people asking me if I've been Forged in Fire. Well, we need more TV shows that are successful that show knife makers and blacksmiths and then you wouldn't have this problem. So I'm sorry. It's my fault. It's not your fault. It's my fault. It's my fault. It's clearly my fault. Fine. Let's just get back to the story here. So I'm I'm talking to the woman. You like that whole? That was a whole. That was a whole fucking pile of brain fell out, and then it went into this microphone, and then it's being saved. And I'm not 100% sure how I feel about it. So let's just keep going. Let's just keep going. This is the full blast podcast. This isn't the half-ass podcast or the fat ass podcast. That was last week. So the woman says to me, What profession are you in? Or what occupation are you in? And I go, Well, you know, I'm a I'm a knife maker. And she says, A knife maker? Have you been on? And before she said forge and fire, which she was saying, before she gave me my results, she wanted to know if I was on TV for Forge and Fire. Congratulations with Forge and Fire. My health is superseded by the, the 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 beautiful, wonderful glory that is Forge and Fire on television show on the History Channel. You've 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 completely eclipsed the health of me and my daughter. Congratulations! So I immediately stopped her and I said, "Madam, may I please have my test?" I was like stunned, I couldn't, I was waiting for seven days and I did what my father used to say, and this is an expression that he used to do and we just, i ever since I've seen him do, I heard him do it back when I was a kid, I've always said it. If you use the expression madam, excuse me madam, if you say excuse me madam and you call you call a woman madam, it's like, it's so old school that people immediately jump to, especially, I mean obviously women. It's not an expression you hear very often. You hear old school when talking about brothels run by madams and stuff like that. But when you say to uh, especially a a woman, excuse me, madam, you get their fucking attention every single time. And it's one of those things where I've always said to my kid, you know, communication is like a combination lock. And if you have the combination, you open that lock easy. But if you don't, you're, you're fighting the lock. So if you say the right things, you end up getting what you want. Or you'll just kind of be more efficient in regards to the direction that you're trying to go. So I said to the woman, "Excuse me, madam, can I have the results of my test?" Oh yes. Yeah, so, oh yes. Yeah, so, yeah, sorry. Sorry. So she said, "You and your your daughter." Well, she said, "My." She said, "We were both positive for coronavirus. So we both had coronavirus. Very, uh, and it it we'd had it." We tested for it a week before, so we were now a week past. But we could have been, you know, who knows? could have been a week and a half we'd had it. Um, So we drove. So I came home. I called my wife, and and I said, all right, come on down from quarantine. She'd been in quarantine for two weeks in her third floor. So she came down, and we all hugged, and it was all very, like, we're all going to live together in our illness. Fine. I mean, what else can you say? We at least be quarantined together. There's no longer, you know, you're on the third floor, and we're on the second first floor, and we're cleaning up hardly, and she was happy. We all cried, and it was like a long thing, and I could go back into my own bed and I'm not sleep on that fucking couch anymore. And our lives were slowly getting back to normal, slowly getting back to normal. Now, at this point in time, my daughter and I had very, very slight uh, symptoms, nothing that would... You know that you'd even notice. I mean, the only thing that I noticed was that was out of the out of the norm was that uh, I lost this my sense of taste. And the only reason why I realized that is because I was drinking a glass of whiskey and I couldn't even. I could only taste that it was alcohol. I couldn't tell you what it was, but I could only taste the alcohol. And that's something that's never really happened to me. But everything else was like. Sniffles, I coughed once or twice I didn't really have a whole lot going on there I didn't feel weird I did feel fatigue And I wondered if the fatigue came from wearing a mask all the time Whatever But now here we are My family and I are all We're all saturated We're all covered in coronavirus fine And as I'm speaking to you now It's been almost six weeks And we're all feeling fine and it was one of those things where now, the crazy part is, is you know, we've started getting messages from people. Well, what should I do? And you know, as if I'm the, because I've had it, I'm all, I'm all, I'm, I'm the authority on coronavirus. I, I, I've stopped. I've turned the news off. I've turned the radio off. I've turned off. I don't even want to hear about it anymore. And I'm only saying this because I want to be done with this whole conversation. And I assume that just talking about it now will just completely, we can get past it and all of a sudden now we can get on with our lives because that's really what it comes down to. Let's just fucking get on with our lives and let's try to figure out a way that we can safely move on without too much more damage to our health And to our economy, because it's enough already, right? So um, we're getting squared away, and we're my kid's still out of school, and she's going to be missing the rest of school's canceled for the rest of the year, and except for the online homework, and her summer camp's gone, and we're just trying to. You can tell that things are slowly. I think by the time this comes out, maybe things will be a little bit more controlled. This is the twentieth of May that I'm recording this, so. Things are, you're starting to hear peeps about people opening up and figuring things out. So there we have it. We're living with coronavirus. And I'm not going to say on this podcast, I promise you, on the Full Blast podcast, I will not be saying anything along the lines of in these uncertain times. I've had it with some of these expressions. I've used them. And if you listen to... Knife Talk podcast. When we first started getting through with this whole thing, I started. We're here to keep you company in these uncertain times. I'm not saying uncertain times anymore, because all times are uncertain. You never know what the hell's going to happen. You could break an ankle. That's uncertain. There's no certainty anymore. So, but I. So I'm done with it because it's just this strange, cr- uh, crutch that we verbal crutch that we're using. In order to understand what's trying to wrap our brains around a global pandemic, which is something that we're not prepared to 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 do, there you have it. See, I told you I'm sour. I'm fucking sour. I've had it. I want life to go back to normal, and I want you to know that I want your life to get back to normal. And I'm tired of being I'm there for you. Now it's just like let's get on with our lives. So when we're talking, when I was talking before about competition, it reminded me of. uh, my childhood trauma my childhood trauma that prevented me from enjoying the competition I never liked competition to the point where even when I was uh I was the I was the lead man for a uh, for a uh, for a sculptor I just never really I wanted to be I liked being the number two guy I was the number two guy for the main guy and then I was at uh, another blacksmith shop where I was the number two guy, and I was perfectly happy. We're not trying to beat anybody out, and I didn't want to fight for positions, and I've never enjoyed the idea of competition. I've never submitted my knives for any competitions. I have submitted sculpture to shows, and they happen to have a jury. It would happen to be a juried show, but every time I put it up, it's just to kind of get into a show. But I don't really like, I'm going to get number one, and everyone else is going to... And it all comes down to the fact that when I was a kid growing up in New York City in the early in the early 80s, I we went to this school and it was a very nice private school in Manhattan. It was a very I was a very fortunate young boy to go to this private school. But it was a very small private school. All boys. And one of the things is they were involved in these uh, sports leagues in the, in the city. So there wasn't, when you played afternoon sports like junior varsity, there was no tryouts. You, you had to be on the sport. You had to be on a team. The, in the afternoons, you were on a team. You know, the, you know the, the fall sports and the spring sports and the winter sports, there was no, there was no, there was no, I don't want to be on a sp- team. So they had all these sports teams, and uh, they, you know, the coaches were also the teachers, and they would kind of like look around and see that guy looks like he could be good on this team, and that guy looks to like be this. See, there's not a whole lot of, there isn't a whole lot of uh, choice. I mean, if you there are kids who love playing sports, and I and I wish I was. My father was a painter and a winemaker, and very, you know he he his whole life he kind of looked down on on athlete, athletics he wasn't an athletic guy he was a hard working painter he's a hard working winemaker and he liked being on tractors and a farmer and stuff like that but we i don't remember playing ball with him and he was much older than me anyway i do remember him taking me to a couple yankee games but like sports weren't a thing like we didn't watch football and i didn't understand football i couldn't understand i couldn't watch on tv and see all these ants just running around and I just couldn't understand oh look what he's doing look at he's going down the field and I can't see I can't see what everybody's doing I just I maybe I have no idea why I just it was like it was too frustrating for me to understand what was happening so one of the coaches at the school was also the, the um, I guess it was the 7th grade or the, maybe the 5th or 6th grade teacher whatever he was my English teacher It must have been no, must have been the seventh grade. He was a seventh grade English teacher, but he was also the football coach. So he was just like you know, all American, you know, tough guy from not tough guy, but all American guy from the from New England type, you know. And he was also the football coach, and all the guy, all the kids in the class liked him because he was the football coach and he was tough. And and, uh, for some reason, because I was on the bigger side, I was tall. And as we know from last episode, it might might have been big. I mean, the chef in the last episode called me fat ass. So I guess maybe they thought I'd be good in football. I mean, I wasn't overweight. But I mean, you know, clearly I wasn't, you know. They weren't asking me to be on the track team. Let's just say that. So they said to me, we would love you to be on the football team. And you don't really have a choice. (laughs) So you got to play one sport, and this one coach was like, "Come on, Fader, we're gonna get you on the football team. It's gonna be great." I'm like, "All right, well, okay." The first day of you know football, they give you all the gear, and that's when you're. I mean, I guess I was in. I guess when we were playing, I was in seventh grade. It was in seventh grade when we started, so I'm like twelve. Is that right? Twelve for seventh grade? Twelve or thirteen? So they're giving you helmets and shoulder pads and pants that. You know, they end right below your knee and knee pads and thigh pads and jock strap. Well, they didn't give you a jock strap. You had to get your own jock strap. But go get yourself a cup and go get yourself a mouthpiece. And well, I had gear. I brought all this shit home. I was like, look at all this gear. And I put the helmet on. I couldn't see out the goddamn helmet. And I'm putting on the shoulder pads and I'm hitting the walls. And, you know, oh, this is going to be great. And then I turned to my dad, how do you play football? And he goes, I have no idea. I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to learn. Guess you're gonna learn. So, the first day we get on the bus, and the bus takes us to the football field. We're wearing our 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 uh, practice jerseys over you know over the shoulder pads and everything like that. And it feels weird. I'm sitting on a bus next to a dude. I can't. We can't. There was a rule. The rule was you can't take your helmet off until you're when you get on the bus. You have to have your helmet on, and you can't take your helmet off until you get back to the school. So from like 3 o'clock to 5 o'clock, you had this goddamn helmet on the whole time. You weren't allowed to take it off. And then we got the mouthpiece, and that was fun because you brought it home, and you put it in the hot water, and then you squished it in your teeth, and you made the form, and that was cool. And my friends would walk around the the school with their shirts and ties and their fucking mouthpieces in. Like, I have a thing. I have this object. So right out of the shoot, they kind of like there wasn't like we're trying out for this, we're trying out for this. at the time the coach had already figured out who was gonna be where. The big guys are gonna be in the offense and the defense on the line, on the line. And I'm telling you this from someone who still doesn't truly understand football. I don't understand. So they grabbed me and a couple other dudes. And there you're gonna, you're gonna you guys are gonna be in the, you guys are gonna be over in the in the line, go over with the coach, and you're gonna learn. And he said, all right. All of a sudden, our our English teacher went from this English teacher teaching us, you know, about writing and reading and 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 reading comprehension. We would talk about grammar, and we talk about Huckleberry Finn and all these, you know, these creative stories and stuff like that. To all right. Get, 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 get on and give me twenty. And give, you the, give you the push-ups wearing the, the shoulder pads. And are you wearing a cup? Are you? I told you to bring a cup. You gotta bring a cup. I'm gonna start hitting you guys in the crotch if you don't have a cup on. You're gonna be. You didn't need a cup. Cup. Gotta get a cup. And uh, we had to do all these, you know, exercises, and then we had to go into the hitting. And there wasn't, there wasn't any. Let's talk about what football is. There wasn't like. So the quarterback throws it to his guy and they have to go down the field and they have to have 10 yards and every 10 yards, they have, they have four tries to get to 10 yards. and then I had to learn this later. I didn't learn this later. actually, I had to learn this when I was explaining to my daughter how you play football because she was just like, how do you play football? I was like, all right, let's look it up. So you have, you know they didn't even explain that to me during this practice. And it was just punch You hit him, and then you have to you have to put your elbows up, and you have to grit your teeth, get your mouthpiece in, and you have to put your head down into the shoulder pads, and you hit the you hit the guy, and you punch. Him. And it was so intense. Oh my god, it was so intense. And I was just like, and I and the one thing that I couldn't see was anything. The bars on the helmet, I couldn't see. I had no peripheral vision, and I had no. I didn't understand what I was doing, and I couldn't see anything. So then, after the hitting, and this is where you hit, and you, punch, you, you strike, and you, you hit someone, and you, you know, knock them off, and then you, yeah, they would cheer when you'd knock these guys down on the ground and have these hitting drills, and it was just like, yeah, that's job, good job, know, yeah, good job. You know, oh, that's, or if somebody did a bad job, all of a sudden the punishment started coming. He's, oh, that was terrible, where'd you learn to do that? It started to realize that there was singling out. They were trying to get us to a certain level And half of us didn't even really want to be there. So there was this, like, all of a sudden it started to go from, oh, look, I have all this gear on and I'm being tough and this is hitting, to not doing a good job started to becoming punishment. We were being punished for poor, poor uh, hitting. We were being punished if we were the last person. We were being punished for all this stuff. And this isn't isn't like we tried out, we were like, I got to be on the seventh grade football team. This has nothing to do with that. This is strictly, you're coming to the football team, you're playing on the football team, and if you don't do a good job for our team that we want you to be on that you don't want to be on, we're going to fuck you up. And that's really what happened. So there was this, like, real sense of, urgency to do a good job and hit people hard and hit them properly oh you didn't hit them hard oh you didn't do this right and then the and then as it was going there the coach the coach would just start just fucking singling people out and screaming at them and hollering at them I'm 12 or 13 I'm a young boy who doesn't want to be there I'm a Jewish kid from the Upper East Side who doesn't know from this my father is a painter don't fucking know about it. You fucking hit him! There wasn't cursing in the beginning, but it was intense. Intense. And he'd spit. Fucking, you going to do this! I shouldn't have said that I was getting all charged up and frothy when I was telling the story. Clearly he wasn't cursing. I would have told you if he was. But there was at some point, which we're going to get to. So then my fear started to grow because I just didn't really want to be there. I was like, I don't want to be yelled at. You know, I just don't want to be, I don't understand how we play this game. Then they started to give us plays, and I was, in the beginning, because I was big, they they had me try to be, try out to be the center. The center is the guy who takes the football. You're in a a three-point position stance, and you take the ball, and when the quarterback, who has his uh, non-dominant hand up your, under your balls and your perineum, and just the top of their hand is in your whole fucking undercarriage, and the bottom of the hand is ready to kick the ball, and they give you the play, and hike. I take the ball, and I put it between my legs into his hand that's firmly up into my taint, And then he takes it away. But if you don't do it right, if you don't do it fast or correctly, and they bobble it, it's problematic. So there were times where the coach would do with me, and I would have to be the, he'd be the quarterback, and I'd be the coach, and I just, he had his hand, and nothing happened. But it was just weird. It was just, like, up against me with his hand, the top of his hand under my, you know, penis. I mean, not intentional, but with the cup. And it was just like it was just always so fucking weird. I, I just like I was like oh, this is the fucking certainly not for me. But I didn't have much of a choice, so I did a terrible job there. And then they had me do the uh, where you hike the ball, where you uh, hike the ball, and you have to like toss it under your underneath you. You have to shotgun it to the your quarterback is. I don't know, 20 feet behind you, and you have to – For some, I mean, I've never been able to throw a spiral football in my life, but now he's going to yell hike or hutch or whatever the hell he's going to yell, and then I'm going to try to take it and spiral throw it through my legs. That didn't ever work out very well, and it was just like – then it was just like, this is not going well. And then the screaming and the hollering, and you call that throwing between your legs? You call that throwing? You call that spiral throwing between your legs? You what are you? Fader? You terrible? You know, go run a lap or whatever. And then they kind of, and then the embarrassment in front of everybody else. They they pushed me into. I think I was a tackle at one point. And, the, and then I was. Uh, I don't even really. I don't, honestly, it's it was such a traumatic experience. It started to slowly, slowly get worse because the practices were. I used to dread the practices because I couldn't remember. You had to remember all the plays on all the different positions. And I was learning disabled. I'm not saying that that's my, my excuse. It, uh, truly, truly, the excuse is I didn't give a fuck. I was fucking, I hated it. I, my misery grew exponentially. And I fucking grew to be scared. I grew to be, uh, I grew to be, to dread going to uh, practice. So all day long, 7th grade, 8th grade, ninth grade, I started to, to dread it because the coach would, he'd grab you and he'd didn't, didn't do it right and he'd single you out in front of other people and he's screaming and hollering and all I could think of is I don't want to be here and I can't take my helmet off, I'm having a hard time there's none of that, these are children these are children being miserable, totally miserable so after I was on the offensive line practice and guys were having to do push ups, and guys were getting yelled at, and guys were getting screamed at, and it was just like, ugh. And the funny thing was, nobody on the bus or the bus ride home would talk about it. Nobody would say, oh, Fader, you got your ass. You know, no, we, there was no fraternity of, oh, man, we got our you got your ass chewed out today. <laughs> it was none of that. Because if you started to say anything on the bus, then the coach would fucking single you out. It was like, it was, it was a very, very traumatic situation. And I'm sure he didn't mean to hurt us, you know, mentally. But it was like, it was such an uncomfortable situation. And he was so ballistic and so bombastic that he really made me not enjoy organized sports at all. Because it's like, how can this be fun for me? If you're just going to scream and holler, I mean, really screaming and hollering. So I know you're all thinking, what a pussy for you are, Fader. Well, fine. You want you to listen to somebody else's podcast. I'm telling you the reason why I won't go on Forge and Fire. This is all this football coach's fault. If I was a competition guy, I'd say, give me the, f- I don't want your fucking money. I'm going to Forge and Fire. I'm going to whip everybody's ass. And you can just imagine. You can just imagine. I'm on Forge and Fire. I'm all fucking, I'm on different Fader. I'm confident. competitive fate, I'm gonna kick all your asses you're all fucked you're screwed and then as soon as the lights go on and they start to do the the forging and we're forging I'm guaranteeing you I'm the guy who's gonna start to get dehydrated the lights and the heat and then someone's gonna say, Oh, we hope Jeff from the Northern Hemisphere doesn't look too good. We'll good. and then you can superimpose the jungle music as I go, I'm led to the EMS work, you know, the EMT workers or the you know, the paramedics show up and you the, they lay down the jungle music to show how fucked up I am and how how intense it's gonna be because I need a fucking sip of water and I'm dehydrated. All right. So I'm telling you, this is the reason. So back to back to seventh grade, Jeff. Seventh grade, Jeff is fucking hoping to be sick every day hoping to not go to school because when 2:30 shows up and we got to go to the locker room and put our clothes on all I just want to do is I just want it to be over all I want is to be on the bus ride back from the field I don't want to be there and there isn't there was no there was no crying and I there was never any crying and there was never any you know a oh, coach I don't really want to play it there wasn't any of that it was we were too afraid. We were. T- I was too afraid. I won't speak for anybody else. I'll speak for myself. I was too fucking afraid to say anything. So, the first games would come, and I would. Pra- I would. I wouldn't even. Pr- I wouldn't even study. I wouldn't study my classwork. I would study the plays because God forbid if I forget a fucking play. These coaches see everything. If you make a mistake, a, the slightest mistake towards the play, you haven't gone two feet to the left and started blocking. You haven't gone two feet to the right. You haven't done the right position. You're not doing the right thing. You didn't snap the right. You didn't. You don't know. All I was doing was studying these goddamn plays, and I was like, "Okay, what happens if I?" All right, he's gonna say he's gonna, and then I would, I would get in my mind, "Okay, he's gonna." All right, it's this play on four. Or is it three? Do I go on three or do I go on four? Do I go on four and then go? God forbid I get off sides. They're going to scream at me. They're going to scream and holler at me. I don't – why do I have to play this game? Every time I'd be – look, my, my mom would come in. She'd do your homework. I'm like, I'm trying to I'm trying to remember these plays. I, it's just too much. It's, I just don't understand. Well what, ha, well, what happens if, you know, one guy is going to be the left tackle and I'm going to be the right tackle? Then these plays are all – I have to do all different plays. Well, this is – what am I – what am I doing? Why do I have to do this? So the days of the games, I would be a wreck, a total wreck. I would have, I wouldn't be able to, I couldn't eat. But then I'd be afraid. What if you pass out on the field? So I would eat, and then I'd go. I would just drag my feet the whole day long, not really paying attention. And all I could think of is, please, 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 God, please, God, just please get me through this. Please get me through this without any type of humiliation. That's all I ask. Please, I, somebody tell me how you play this game. Please, please, I'm begging you. Somebody, somebody help me. Somebody help me. And I would say to my buddies, because that was the other thing. We'd be like, do you know how to do this? And we would kind of quietly say, yeah, I think you're supposed to go to the left when he says blue. And then you're supposed to block somebody. But I don't know who you're supposed to block, because we were practicing. So I don't know who's going to be coming my direction at all. It was this fucking torture. And we were all afraid to talk. Most... I'm going to say me. I know that some of these guys that I was playing with were afraid, too. But they were just too chicken to say anything because we don't want to get singled out. We'd have to... And then we'd have to... The English class with the fucking coach. And he knows... that, And he's looking at us. And he's already decided the kind of people that we are. You know, which makes it even worse. Like... Fader's not into this. He's, you know, he doesn't know how to do this, or he's a, you know, he didn't call me a pussy, but I'm, I'm sure he thought I was a pussy, and you know, I could feel, I would feel his disdain for me because I wasn't a football guy. I could feel his disdain for me in the classroom. I could, it was like, it was bleeding over from the football field, the practice field to, a oh, fucking Fader. Ugh, such a disappointment. And it, it was like, ugh. and it was such a small school. It wasn't like we had a huge string of people. So the days of the games, in the, when I was younger, I was the second string, and I loved the expression riding the pine. It was such an insult to most, but to me, I fucking loved riding the pine. Please don't put me in, Coach. Whatever you do, please don't put me in, Coach. And I remember the first game, my dad showed up, and my dad showed up, and he he watched and his eyes were big and he was nervous. Football kids, football pads, and we're these were in the middle of New York and what's gonna happen? And he would just he would take me aside and he would say, Jeff, this is my father, the genius. This is my father, the genius. He would say, Jeff, if a big guy comes in your direction, just run the other way. Oh, is that is that what you is that is that what you think I should do, Dad? I swear to God, he would say that to me every single game. Because he, at the time, he and my mother were divorced, and anything that would happen to me that he was around, he felt like my mother would blame him for. So he would say, your mother's going to kill me if you get hurt in this. So if a big guy comes in your direction, run the other way. Oh. is that is? So now I'm getting really terrible advice from my dad, who's going to get me... Well, I mean, he's to save my physical life, but my he's going to destroy my my childhood. He's gonna he's cre- he's helping create a trauma that I'm not gonna be able to ever. I'm gonna be able to ever get past. I mean, he doesn't realize that I could never be on the show Forge and Fire because he told me when a big guy comes, to run the other way. I mean, it was just like I would look at him and I'm like, is this is your best advice? This is the most advice, the best? So all this tor- torture that I'm going through in this practice, and you're telling me to disobey my coach slash tormentor, and what are you going to do when he starts screaming at me? You And this was also at a time where teachers, coaches – could could wipe the floor with your kids, and the and the parents would say, "Well, you didn't listen to your coach. Ah, oh, you didn't listen to your teacher." So my dad was not gonna, and he was a chicken, so he was not gonna step up and say, "Hey, coach, don't talk to my kid that way." He would have written a letter to someone, and and then it, you know, meanwhile, what is that gonna do? So my dad was there. We had our things on, and then the coach saw that my dad was there, so he wanted my dad to know that he was gonna put me in. So my dad being there. Fucked me because if he had not been there, I would have ridden the pine and I would have escaped through this goddamn game unscathed. No, dad shows up. The coach is like, "I'm going to show Mister Fader what a pussy his son is." So he puts me in, and uh, we're, we're getting in the th- the getting in the scrum or whatever the hell the, the meeting. And okay, we got to do. I don't even remember. Thank God, I don't remember the names of the of the plays because I think that if I remember the names of the plays, you would really see the damage that I have. I've have slowly, slowly calloused over this terrible trauma. So, the quarterback says, "Okay, we're gonna do this on blue." Okay, okay, do this on blue, and I'm not the center, so I'm thrilled. I don't have to have the football between my balls. Great, perfect. That's one less thing I have to do. One less way I can not be the center of attention that the coach will spot me making a mistake. That's great. Perfect. So I'm a right tackle, left tackle, or whatever the whoever the guys are on the side. I don't remember the names of the guys on the sides because it's just, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we go through the first play, and I go to the blue, and we all get up. And I put my elbows up and I'm looking around and I'm chopping my feet. You know, you're doing that chopping your feet thing where you're going back and, you know, you're they want you to hop around. You're not standing still. You're, you know, doing that like jogging in place thing. And I'm and I can't see who what I'm supposed to who, who's coming towards me. Nobody. So I'm just standing there with my elbows up, chopping my feet like I'm a a, a mental patient. And uh, then fine. So then we keep going and we keep going. And, and I you know. I, I, I'm not 100% sure if we were winning or we were losing. I'm just, I can't, well, as soon as we got up from the three-point stance, I can't see through the mask. And as the games went by, I was always grateful when I was not playing. I was grateful when I was, uh, when I was in, you know, some type of uh, position where they were going to have, you know, somebody else put my position. I was grateful when no one was sick. I was grateful when I didn't have to play. I was perfectly fine looking at dandelions in the uh, by the by the bench. Fine. 100%. Drink some fucking Gatorade. Oh, I've never had Gatorade before. Let's drink this Gatorade. I was drinking Gatorade. I was trying to be I was trying to be as quiet and as invisible as possible. And every so often, Vader left tackle. All right. So I didn't know what we are doing. I didn't know we were do- I was, like, trying to be complete. As games went by, I was tr- really, really, really trying to understand because I felt like he liked certain players, and I wanted him to – I needed the approval. This is something you're probably going to find out about me and you. You need the approval of the coach because the coach is the father of the family, and you want the love of the family, and you want to be the – it was – it's just like – much it's just too much too much so as games went by and as years went by I just tried to my status as a player was really like below average I was not one of the jocks I was not one of the I was not one of the uh stars I cared to really just get through it and as the years went by and as I got older, I should have known more and I should have become better. And the coach would scream at me and the scream at other people. And it was just like it was so for three years, it was three seasons, I should say. It was not a fun experience. And I, re, I hated it. I really like look. I never I never enjoyed competing. I never wanted to win. I never thought we we're gonna beat these guys, whatever class. It was like I need to just get through this because I'm I'm losing my mind. I'm getting punished for doing. I'm getting yelled at and screamed at for for just not being excellent. It was fucking terrible. It was or to de- doing something I didn't even want to do. All right. So the the last thing I'm gonna tell you on this is one game that stood out was. So my coach was the offensive coach, and then there was the uh, quarterback coach, the, the quarterback and receivers coach, the guy who would teach the quarterbacks to throw the receivers. He was this big dude, former uh, NFL guy. He was all the guys liked him, and he was a you know super good dude, and and I didn't have a whole lot to do with him. So he also didn't really know my turmoil with Thayer the God, what are you God, Are you doing? In the spitting and the screaming and the hollering and the grabbing the face mask, that was the thing the coaches liked to do. They grab the face mask and they shake you. Are you paying attention? Ah, oh, can't see now. Can't see now. I have to go to the bathroom. We can't go to the bathroom. That was the other thing. You couldn't go, you had to make sure you really went to the bathroom because when you got to the field, there was no bathroom. So you had to hold, you had to make sure you went, we had to pull the fucking pants down and peel the cup over and try to get as much and then you peel the cup over all of a sudden it does something to your balls and now you all of a sudden your urine doesn't want to come out it was like please pee because I just I can't I can't go through this torture and have to pee at the same time so you just pee and pee and and pee and peed, 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 peed try to pee and just a dribble would come out I'm like oh, I, I hope I can make it for the next three hours because I, I think I'm gonna be scared Ugh, fucking thing so one game we had, and I don't remember where it was, but I remember, you know, all right, I'm trying to remember these, I'm trying to remember these plays. I I'm trying to remember all the different plays of all the different positions. I don't want to do any of them. And it was it was foggy out. Or I don't know what it was. I couldn't see anything anyway. So we had this one play. Oh, this is the play. It was, I guess we were on the, I don't remember, I guess we were on the, uh, the defense and they were kicking the ball to us. Oh, no, no, no. We were punting the ball outwards or they were punting the ball inwards. I don't remember what it was. Somebody punted the ball. I, you know, I'm three, blue, I'm up. I'm doing the chopping the feet. I have my elbows up. I cannot see anything. I cannot see the ball. I can't see anybody in front of me. I don't know who. It's all everyone's costumes, their helmets. They all look the same to me. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't see what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. So then I hear screaming from the, time Fader, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. I have no idea. I can't hear anything. There's, you know, ambient noise. My head's getting smashed around. I can't see anything. I can't hear anything. I don't know what the fuck's happening. They pulled me off, and they started just ripping me. Didn't you see where they were the ball? Didn't you see it? No. What were you doing? And you weren't just standing there. I was chopping my feet. I had my elbows up. I was doing the fucking thing you told me to do. But I wasn't. I'm saying that now. Like I'm so. I'm like, what? What did I do? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm saying I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm saying to this coach that I don't want to be there. I'm saying to him, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I disappointed you in something that I don't want to do. Can you can you imagine how obnoxious it is that I'm apologizing to him for disappointing him in me, making me do something that I don't want to do. Is that the fucking scene? Is that the perfect definition of torture? Is that the, just totally crazy? So the game ends, they don't put me in for the rest of the game. I don't know what I did or didn't do. I guess the, I didn't chase the ball or I didn't chase the guy or I didn't I just stood there or I don't remember but I what I do remember is is getting yelled at on the on the on the on the, on the sidelines. Game's over. We get on the bus. This is my time to just relax. I just got yelled at for the 10 millionth time. This is now I can run on the bus, and I can just put my head. I can't take the fucking helmet off, and I put my head against the, the bench, and I can just kind of like slowly kind of calm myself because it's all over, and I've been yelled at, but I'm not being yelled at again. And the coach is standing in the front, and I just want to tell – I want to talk about this game today. We 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 were terrible. You were terrible, and he's screaming at the whole coach and. This is the big, the big football, the other football, the receiver coach. And you didn't do this, and you didn't do that, and we didn't do this, and we didn't stick by what we were supposed to do. And I want to tell, I want to talk about one other thing. Hey, Fader, you were such a chicken shit on the field today. You chicken shit. And he just kept calling me chicken shit. You chicken shit you chicken shit, you didn't do this, and you were standing there like a coward, like a chicken shit, and he just kept, and everybodys you could see, all you could see over the helmets, over the, over the chairs, over the benches, in in the bus, and we must have had like 30 people on the bus, you could just see the tops of the helmets, and nobody was looking back to see me, everyone was scared that the coach was going to yell at them, and this coach, I in the three years, three seasons I was in, I'd never heard a coach calling someone a chicken shit. A fucking 14-year-old, 13-year-old, you chicken shit, you coward. Chicken shit, you chicken shit fader. Fave, fader, chicken shit, fader, chicken shit. And it was like, this is like my worst nightmare. This is like my worst nightmare. I've never in my life thought of all the things I could do I studied the plays. I came to the practices. I never, I ran. I wasn't the last guy. I wasn't loafing. I wasn't causing trouble. I wasn't uh, being in trouble. I wasn't getting in trouble. I was staying out of p- trouble. I was doing the what they told me to do. I never in my life would think that the coach would singling me out on the bus after we lost and start calling me a chicken shit. You chicken shit. Fader, what the fuck? You know He didn't say what the fuck. I'm not, That he did not say. He didn't say what the fuck. He's like, "Fader, you chicken shit." And the the and I don't want to hear another peep on this bus. I don't want to see anybody happy. I don't want to hear any clapping. I don't want to hear any funny stuff and no jokes. I want everybody in silence. This bus ride is in silence. And I'm just like, vibrating with silence. All you could feel is the your my head's against the rest of the chair. And his coach just fucking called me chicken shit like 10 times. And everyone's, everyone knows. Everyone's, oh, Fader's getting fucking, Jader's of chicken shit. Oh, my God. He just got his, he just got his brains beaten out by the coach. And I'm just like, what the fuck else can I do? What can I do? This is not the sport for me. I don't want to be here. And my myself, my inner self at the time, 7th grade Jeff is saying, Mom, help. Somebody help me. Somebody help me. What do I? I can't talk to these adults. I can't tell them you hurt my feelings. Somebody protect me. Nobody was coming to my protection. Nobody was coming to my defense. Vader, you chicken shit. Oh, my God. My brain is about to, like, explode. Get me off this goddamn bus. Get me off this bus. Get me off this team. Get me out of this school. Get me out of the city. I don't want to be chicken shit. I don't want that to be my nickname either. Thank God, thank God. You know, the funny thing was the terror was that people we didn't break each other's balls in the locker room. There was not, there was no locker room uh, joking around. We were just too afraid because if we were too, if there was too much laughing in the in the locker room, the coach would come in and start screaming and hollering and spitting. There's a lot of spit coming out of that fucking big mouth. A lot of and he ha, and one thing I will say is he had a ridiculous butt cut, Do you know where your hair is parted in the middle? Terrible was not a good look, and his his lips would start flapping and spit would start flying, and his face would get all red, and chicken shit. It was a it was a monumental, it was a monumental disaster. And then all of a sudden, as I got older, I got into the ninth grade, and. Um, I ended up, there was things going on in my life and I had, you know, my dad was getting remarried and and I was having problems. The divorce wasn't going well for me and my parents were divorced and it was like, it was was all very, it was a terrible time in my life at the time. It could have been a lot worse. I'm not saying that I, I'm not saying I had it bad, but it was like, I'm telling you the story, obviously, I'm telling it to you because it's just the way I'm telling you the story. So please don't say you you had it great. I understand I had it great. I was very fortunate. I was very fortunate, and I'm sure you're going to tell me. Somebody's going to send me a message. I didn't even get to play football, and I wish I could have been on that team, and they wouldn't have called me chicken shit. This isn't your podcast. I'm telling you my story, and I know that it's meaningless, but I'm, I'm telling you this story. I told you in the first episode that this is drivel. I told you this isn't important. I told you that this is going to be mindless drivel, and here you are, mindless drivel. And I'm trying to get past the whole COVID-19 coronavirus, so thank me. Just thank me that I'm trying to take you off, take that out of your face and out of your mind. You can thank me instead of writing me that, that I've, you know, I had it easy and blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to change your, I'm trying to change the tone of the conversation. All right. So as I got older, I was just like, luckily for me, the seasons were fast, and I just kind of got through it. It was always like, as football season ended, it was always like, I'll just shoot sigh of relief, and life can go on. And I used to do, I was on the wrestling team, and I actually loved the wrestling team. I really liked the practices. I liked the fact that it was you know, it was you were not your team wasn't dependent on you that much. I mean, you had to win your shit, but you know, like they weren't. I mean, if we lost, but you won, yeah, you still won, kind of. You know, but if you lost, I mean, it, didn't, it wasn't a big deal. But I wasn't that competitive there either. I, I hated the competition. I, I I actually used to when I lost, it was usually because I said, oh, I gotta wrestle this guy. He could be my friend. Why do I want to be fight my friend? You know, so it was just like my mentally, I was not prepared for competition. So, one of the things is as we got older, we started to get gym classes too. And the gym classes were great because they were on Fridays and we had a roof with this cage roof. And our gym class was dodgeball. And as most of you know, dodgeball is the greatest of all gym sports. So, we had a, sh- we would, and the, here's the great part. So, we would have shirts and ties and white shirts, and we go to the roof and we grab those you know what maroon rubber balls that you squeeze and then the, the they would be up there and some of them would be deflated and the ones that were deflated were great cuz you could kind of squeeze and get a better grip and then we would always pray that there'd be some water puddles up on the roof cuz so then we could kind of like dread we could just kind of like mop up we could baste, baste the base the dodgeballs with the with the dirty water so when we were flinging them at our, each other you would be able if you could get a good smash in the chest, you'd destroy somebody's shirt. It was that was really what it was down to. So but we would go up on Fridays and uh we would go up to the roof and we'd get the dodgeballs. We wait for the teacher, but they didn't give a fuck. We were just like, you know, they were just throwing the, you know, we make teams and start in and we just do dodgeball. There was no real and then the coach would just sit sit up there or the whatever. So we were horsing around up there before the teacher came up and my friend Jonathan and I were horsing around, and we were throwing the ball at each other. And then he did this move where he would run down the stairs, like he We so there were two doors to the st- two different stairs on either side, and you could kind of bust through into the door to go down the d- stairs to hide. So we were chasing each other around. Jonathan jacked me in the head with a, one of those, you know, rubber dodge balls, and I was like, "I'm gonna get this motherfucker." So I took one of those balls that was slightly deflated. And I just, like, just mopped, mopped it up in this puddle. This dirty city water, rain, and just disgusting puddle. And I'm going to fucking get Jonathan. I'm going to get him. And I chase him, and he runs down the stairs. And I think to myself, I am going to stand here. And as soon as he comes out that door, I'm going to fucking blast him. And I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting. And I'm just like, I'm getting fucking pumped up. I was so fired up that this disgusting ball, this dodgeball covered in city water is going to just, I can just see it, this glory of just this disgusting brown, wet spot on this shirt. I'm just fucking psyched. Door cracks open, and I'm like, I'm throwing it. I'm throwing it. I didn't even see who was coming through the door. I fucking just grabbed it and i flung it as hard as i could i must have been like 6 feet from the door so whoever was coming through that door jonathan was going to get it it was the football coach who called me chicken shit he was not expecting this ball covered in disgusting sewage <laughs> runoff dirt water so he was he did not have his hands up He was not prepared to catch. He was wearing a really nice suit. He was wearing a beautiful raincoat. He looked like he was ready to go out for the night. He opened the door, and that fucking ball hit him dead in the chest. In the chest. (sighs) With the water and the dirt, and then, uh, and this is the guy who was on the coach, who, when we were on the bus, was, Fader, you chicken shit, Fader, you chicken shit. He was this coach, big guy, famous. Uh, he'd been on, he had been on, the, uh, I think Canadian Football League or something like that. He was like, he was the guy. Everyone was, he was a jock. He was just like, he had played professional football. He was gonna be the guy. He's the one who made me feel like just this human garbage chicken shit and there he's coming to the door and boom I fucking blasted him like he wasn't ready for it he wasn't expecting it he wasn't Jonathan who was ready with his hands up ready to catch this is coach ready to just just like you know mail it in on a Friday at a gym class where these dummies are gonna play basketball or play dodgeball I fucking, I fucking destroyed him with that ball. His shirt was destroyed and his eyes lit up and the blood ran from his face to his face and he grabbed me by my lapels and picked me up and started screaming, and I don't remember what he said, but I was like, the look on my face when it wasn't Jonathan coming through, Jonathan wasn't coming through the door, but the coach was coming through, and I fucking just crushed him. He screamed at me, and the spit coming out of his mouth, and he was just, God, yeah, just, just, I mean, I don't remember, it was a total blur. I must have had some sort of, like, my brain must have, like, you know, I, I'm under the impression that when you get, like, knocked out or you have some sort of trauma, the reason why you pass out is because your brain is trying to protect your your body. So my brain was trying to protect me by, like, shutting my ears off and, like, kind of closing down my eyes, and all I could see was white, and it was just, like, my, the only thing in my ears was, like, this very high-pitched buzzing, and he grabbed me, and he's shaking me by my lapels, shaking me, God damn, God damn it, what the, you know, but he wasn't cursing, I don't remember, he could have been cursing, I don't remember, I don't remember any of it. He sent me out, he sent me, go to your... Get out of here Go to your room Go to the go to your homeroom And I went to the homeroom And I sat down And thank God Football season was over Thank God football season was over I think this was my last year On the team anyway Thank God And I was like He's gonna kill me I mean, he, This guy is gonna kill me He called me chicken shit on the bus He grabbed me in my lapels When school's over The coach is gonna fucking murder me He's gonna murder me And I was like I just have to avoid him For the rest of the time my time at the school, and he just like I was like oh my god, I'm sitting. And then they, my team, my home. She's like, well Jeff, what are you doing down here? You're not coming? You're not playing, playing, playing dodgeball. And I'm just like, oh, I just you know I just I uh, I was trying to play with with my friend Jonathan, and I I accidentally hit the coach. It accidentally hit the coach. Like well you know I, uh, he was coming through the door, and I thought if Jonathan was going to be there, and I'm really kind of scared for my life. I avoided that coach for the rest of the year. I think he saw me one I think for the for the most part I I didn't have any more classes with him. I think I just kind of like eased my way out. I ended up starting to, at the time I was having real problems in school and real pro, real problems in school because just like my life wasn't fucking great. So I was seeing a shrink. I didn't like my the the person that my dad was marrying was not not the greatest and I was just like not doing well in school and I may or may not have said to the teacher one day, you know, after somebody, after being frustrated, I may or may not have said, you know, are you, what are you so, su- I'm not surprised that kids kill themselves. I may or may not have done that. That may have sent me, you know, turned the warning sirens on. I didn't, I wasn't planning on being suicidal. I was, I was just trying to like push everybody back a little bit. I wasn't planning on such a, you know, bombastic, ballistic thing to say I wasn't planning on, you know that's That was the action code to, like, red alert I didn't mean to go to a shrink But that was, like, that was the, uh, the emergency break On my school On my school The emergency break, all of a sudden they're paying attention And the chicken shit's about to kill himself We better do something about it So, yeah, so there was a lot of There was a lot of turmoil and but it, what the problem was, honestly, the problem was that I just wasn't introduced to sports in the the best of ways. So it really got to the point where I was like, I just didn't want to be on the hook for, you know, uh, this team event. I just didn't want to be on a, it. Was a, it was one of those things I just wasn't interested in. So for my whole rest of my life, I just competition was one of those things that I wasn't really great at. And then as I started to become a fabricator and a sculptor and there were these opportunities that came to me like being the, you know, when we would go on job sites or when we would go on... Um, installations I became in charge of certain things and there was this feeling of not disappointing the lead man or the boss and there was this these fears of like I don't really want to be here but I better do a good job And they're gonna call me chicken shit so it was one of those things that now I'm far more like all right let's address those fears from back in the day let's address chicken shit not wanting to play football and do some things and Now I'm putting myself more in these positions in the past, you know, the past 15 years, 20 years. I've been putting myself in these positions where I could get yelled at and try to, you know, realize that, we let's just do the best you can and, you know, figure this out. So that was my trauma of the day. You like that? I went from last one was fat ass. This one was chicken shit. We got to get better than this, guys. If we're to go on the full blast podcast, it can't be all whoa woe is for the birds we got to get forward we got to move forward we got to go onward you bastards so what i need from you you little scum you scum i'm going to teach i'm i'm going to be the coach now and you're going to listen to me chicken shit listen to me chicken shit you're going to give you're going to go follow me on instagram see on you're going to follow me on instagram at uh, the Full Blast Podcast on Instagram, and you're going to DM me your stories of whoa. You're going to DM me your crazy stories, your deranged stories, your stories on why you are the person that you are, and get into it because, God damn it, I can't just start telling you these woven stories all the time because we have to interact. And then when we're going to hopefully get some interviews, we're going to hopefully have some people on. It's not going to be all knife-related. If you want that, go to the Knife Talk podcast. Uh, I'm super pumped to be here. Follow me on Instagram, goddamn you! And then you know, don't do what you're supposed to do, and just remember, we gotta we gotta get this thing together. We're gonna get this thing squared away. Knife talk, uh, knife talk. Go listen to knife talk and the other podcast on this network, and then go to Instagram. Follow me at the Full Blast Podcast. Get involved with the Get involved with this fucking thing. Otherwise, I'm gonna lose my mind. This is this isn't the shrink lesson. And with that said. Our time is up, so thank you once again for joining me. I'm super pumped about this. We're gonna keep the ball rolling. I got a really interesting show next week. We're gonna talk about awful, humiliating, and crazy stories. So send them in. I got one. I got a good one. We're gonna talk about that next week, and then there we are. So thanks again, and just you know, just don't be a chicken shit. Just you know, be something else. I, I we can't end it like that. We can't end it like that. I believe in you. I believe in you, you little bastards. Now get to work. Get squared away. I'm with you. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network.